Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus shared with us a teaching a long time ago to be aware of a time that would be in the future concerning and coinciding with the Lord's Supper. In verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Notice what he said in verse 26. For often, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. You see, every time... The New Living Translation says that we eat this bread, drink this cup. We are announcing, we are showing, we are giving testimony, not just of the Lord's death, but the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for you and me. The day is coming when the drama of life as we know it is going to end. The curtains of time are going to be drawn back. And out will step on the center stage of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he will not come as he did the first time. The first time he came to redeem us. But then this time he will come to rule us. The first time he came as a suffering servant. But this time he will come as a supreme sovereign. The first time he was placed in a manger. But this time he's proclaimed as the master. The first time his deity was denied. But this time his deity will be declared. The first time he was cursed as a false king. But this time he will be crowned as the true almighty king. The first time he was rejected as a liar. But this time he will be received as the Lord. The first time Satan was a destructive force. But this time Satan will be a defeated foe. The first time he came to proclaim his kingdom... But this time he will come to claim his kingdom. While you and I, it's true, we miss the glory of his first coming. But one or the other, I will not and you will not miss the glory of his second coming. Either you and I will come with him or we will go to him. One way or another, you and I are going to see and share in the next coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 9, I mean, Acts chapter 1, excuse me, verse 9. And when he had spoken, that was Jesus, these things while they beheld, he was taken up. And the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Jesus went up, behold, there were two men, two angels, that stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, you men of Galilee, why you stand here gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus, which is taken up from from you into heaven, 
shall also come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. You say, well, Mike, why do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Well, number one, I believe it because the angels said it. Now, the angels have an intimate knowledge. They have an inside press to the things that go on with Jesus and the Father. But then they're also, in this verse I often share in, in encouragement when we've had our loved ones go on before us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And this is Jesus. Jesus said, I'd go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again. So we have it, not only the angels saying that Jesus is coming back, but we've got the words of Jesus himself saying, look, guys, I'm coming back to get you. You see, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is a real event which is definitely going to take place. It's not a fable. It's not fiction. It's a fact. It's not just a theological fact. It's not just a prophetical fact, nor is it just a biblical fact, but it's a historical fact. Jesus did, we do have historically proven that Jesus was on the face of this earth, that he was born in Bethlehem, that he did come to be the Savior of the world. And, and the ministry of Jesus at his second coming will definitely be far different than the ministry at his first coming. He came with grace and truth. But now we know that when he comes back, it'll be one battle and one bloody battlefield. This last climatic battle of all ages all over the world where, where people, troops will be gathered, guns and planes and tanks and jets and missiles and bombs, but only the weapon that Jesus will have according to Isaiah 11, 4, 4 is this. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with the equity for the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. It's a kind of a different picture of Jesus coming back the second time. You know, in fact, we all know somewhat, or some of us know somewhat, of the Battle of Armageddon that there will be a great gathering, but no, shot, no, no guns fired and the word of the Lord will eliminate the enemy. Revelations 19 verse 11 says, Then I saw a heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. And the one sitting on the horse was named the faithful and true witness, Jesus. Verse 21 says, Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that, sword that came upon, out of the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Who is going to come riding on the white horse? Jesus. He's coming back to settle the account that the two angels said, Look, the way you see him leave, he's coming back. And we have all of the promise of the Word of God that Jesus is going to come back and settle it all out, straighten it all out. And some of you that have all these theological beliefs about how and when and why, Jesus is going to straighten it all out. 
You see, even though there's going to be a second coming, and that comes after the seven year of tribulation, you go, whoa, preacher, where you get that? Out of the book of Revelation. But 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks about a catch, catching away of the bride. He says, I can tell you this directly from the Lord, who will still, who, who, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. First of all, Christians who have died will rise from their graves and join with their souls and their spirits and, and be a part of what we refer to as the resurrection and receive their glorified body. Then together with them we are who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. Will there be a rapture, Mike? Absolutely. Will there be a seven-year period on this earth where first three and a half being a lull and then the Antichrist is established and hell breaks loose? Absolutely. At the end of that seven-year period, will there be a time where Jesus will come and the battle of Armageddon will take place? Absolutely. He will come riding on the white horse. He will establish then what is known as the thousand-year millennial reign where John in the Isle of Patmos says he looks up and he sees from heaven. I don't know how this is going to happen, but God does. A whole city coming down that was being prepared, which will... Some believe hover, some believe sit down in the area where Israel is now. You want to know where you'll be for a thousand years then with Jesus? Where then? In Israel. So if you didn't get a trip to Israel before you die, you're going to get it for a thousand years. It'll be free of cost. And let Jesus be your guide. Let him tell you about all the places that he walked on. Peter teaches us that we're living on the edge of eternity and we're on the brink of another world. How should we then as God's people live in this time when it's later than we think? Jesus gave that answer in Luke chapter 19 verse 13 when he said, when he comes back, he doesn't want you and I with our heads stuck in the sand or our nose in the air. He wants our hands to the plow with our heart in the white or the harvest that is white under plenty, doing the work that he's called us to do. He wants us to serve him. Some of you are looking for things to say, uh, come up with New Year's resolutions and New Year, New Year revolutions and, and New Year's, all kind of different things. Well, let me just tell you one thing you better be found doing this new year, and that is serving Jesus. I think you've served yourself long enough. Serve him. You say, well, I don't know where, what to get involved in. Come to my office. I'll help you. I'll wear you out. Someone has described our civilization as a monkey with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. Let that sink in for a moment. We are a modern society that's being liquidated right before our very eyes. We're living in a, a, a state of despair everywhere. We're living in a state of depression, destruction, deterioration, depravity, drunkenness of all sorts. I preached this so many times, and I didn't know we were really there. 
until last week. I have preached that, and it's not my teaching, I've just preached what the book said, that before Jesus comes back, the Bible tells us that we're going to go back to the days of Noah. Well, today we've got the water, where's the boat? We are going back to the days as they lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you've never read the Old Testament, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But you know what? We don't need the New Testament or the Old Testament to verify that we're a sunk ship. If Duck Dynasty <laughs> has riled the feathers of the very ones that are so powerful on this earth that they're pulled off or suspended of a network, I can promise you this. When I started preaching, you could say anything you wanted to, but you know what gets me about that situation? They can pull down our favorite rednecks, but we have to sit and watch men waller with men and women waller with women on TV and we can't say a thing. <laughs> While I'll say he was a bit crude in how he described it, at least what I read, I had to repent with the image in my mind. <laughs> he at least told the truth. But it's no more graphic and disastrous and filthy and perverted of the way God intended sex than what we see projected through homosexuality and lesbian on TV. But yet we, are, we, have, we have channel after channel. We're being flooded with it. And it only says what, I've all, what I believe the Bible says. We are now living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We are now living in days like Noah where they don't give a rip unless you attack them. And then you see what happens. I just wish that we as a church could stand up on this one. I don't know how to do it, and maybe we need to be praying how to do it, but by golly, we ought to take a stand on this one. That we should not allow many of your favorite, I mean, some of you, that's all you're going to watch all Christmas long, where you were. <laughs> now you're so disappointed. Because you're not going to get to watch that. Why? Because some heathen person got offended about a heathen act. My goodness, isn't it amazing that the church is so silent, but the world is so loud, they shut it down. There was a young girl who had a visitor come to her school, and he said, now, look, children, I'm going to see who keeps the cleanest desk in school. And he said, now, I'm leaving today, and I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back. But when I do, I'm going to judge, and whoever has the cleanest desk will win the prize. Well, one little girl went to her teacher and said, I am going to win that prize. I am going to make sure that when that inspector comes back, that my desk is the cleanest of everybody else. And everybody got snickered. They said, honey, your desk is the messiest of every person in the school. 
How in the world do you think that you're going to win that kind of prize? Well, she got to thinking about it. She said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that every week I clean up my desk. Well, they said, well, suppose then the man, the inspector comes back before you cleaned it and it hadn't been cleaned a week. You're not going to win the prize for the cleanest desk. She said, well, then I'll clean it every morning. She said, well, suppose that the inspector comes in the afternoon. And all day long you've been using that desk, and I can see how you leave that desk in a given day. You're not going to win the prize. Well, the little girl thought for a moment. She said, well, I guess what I'm going to have to do is I'm just going to keep my desk clean all the time. And when he comes, it don't matter. I'll win because I'm going to make sure it's clean every day. Now, why can't the church have that kind of attitude for you and I so we'll be ready for the coming of Jesus? We're not caught in worry. We're not caught up in whining. But we're working with no overly concern about that Jesus is going to catch us doing something that we shouldn't be doing. We need the attitude that when he does come, we'll be ready because every day we're going to make sure that our desk is the cleanest as it possibly could be. You know, when Jesus gave us the command to participate in the Lord's Supper, after the verse that he spoke of that you and I will show the Lord's death till he come. He said in verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread that drink of that cup. Because if we eat or drink unworthily, we bring upon ourselves things that shouldn't take place for the believer. Now I'm going to ask you just in a few moments, If Jesus were to come back right now for you, I mean, today was the day. And the way you lived this last week or maybe the way you got up this morning, your desk would not win the clean uh, prize.